Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. Thanks, as always, for joining us as we hit the midway point-ish of Week 17. We have seven shows to go. If you did not listen to the show yesterday, just a quick note at the top that, as I said on the top of Monday's show. This podcast will be ending. Our last show will be January 6th. Uh, I just want to clear something up really quickly because I've gotten a couple of people reach out to me today and it's very kind. Uh, the people who have reached out to say some nice words about the podcast and, and how much they appreciated it. I'm not going anywhere. Otherwise, I am still at ESPN. I am still covering the Lions. I am still Uh, Going to be on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and all of those places that you can typically find me and interact with me. I'm going to try and keep the mailbags going, possibly in a different format at least. And today's episode is a mailbag episode. Uh, I might experiment with a couple of different formats, not to the uh, frequency or extent that we've obviously done the pod. But I just want to make it clear I'm not going anywhere. I'm... I'm still planning on covering the Lions. I'm still planning on working at ESPN. Nothing has been told differently there. Uh, Just the podcast is going away. And like I said, uh, I'll be more than happy to address that maybe a little bit more on the final show. And yeah, uh, other than that, as far as today goes, thought it was a mildly interesting day when it came to the Lions. They released J. Ron Curse. And Daryl Bevel explained it as they want to get their younger guys some work. To me, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like this is probably something that the front office maybe suggested. 
as well because you look at the other guys that they have, specifically Will Harris and Tracy Walker, you want to get those guys maybe more experienced. Now, I mean, I think you could have kept J. Ron Curse on the roster, so it doesn't totally make sense to me. However, by releasing maybe Curse now, if Curse thinks that he's able to land with a playoff team, help someone there, maybe on special teams, that's, I think, a good thing for him. He was going to be a free agent after the season anyway, and we've seen these types of things happen before. If you remember even... The Saints released Isa Abdul Kadus a few years back. I forget what year this was. I want to say it was 2013, maybe 2014, that they released him actually during the playoffs, and the Lions just picked him up and stashed him, and he was, I think, a restricted free agent, so they ended up keeping him, and he ended up being a quality contributor for the Lions for a couple of years. So these late-season moves can help, and... To me, I see it as that. Now, we'll see if J. Ron Curse gets picked up anywhere. I asked Daryl Bevel pretty straight away if it had anything to do with J. Ron Curse's tweets. He was tweeting during the game on Saturday. He was not happy with what he saw. At one point, he tweeted, wow. Uh, and uh, he said it wasn't due to that at all. You know, I, I would be curious to see if they let any other veterans go. I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have done it already. But maybe they want to get, you know, this could be a game too where maybe you see a guy like CJ Moore maybe get a little bit more work. Or perhaps this is where you see them maybe give a little bit of run to Bobby Price or to Jalen Elliott. Both of them are safeties on the practice squad. And to me, maybe you want to make sure you lock one of them up for next year so you sign him to a Week 17 contract, give them some experience, kind of a reward for maybe a, a really good season. Both Jalen Elliott and Bobby Price are guys that I think would have maybe had a shot to even make the team outright had there been preseason games. So to me, that's where I see that move and, and why maybe it happened. So that's the first thing. Also, the other piece of quote-unquote news, Matthew Stafford said that his ankle is okay, banged up, but okay. He's going to see how he's going health-wise, and that's going to be the determination for him, whether he tries and plays on Sunday. We'll see if Daryl Bevel takes that decision out of his hands. At some point, uh, Stafford made it clear that he would like to play if he can get there. He's going to see how it goes kind of day by day throughout the week. And, I mean, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody at this point at all like you should have expected this from Matthew Stafford because that is who Matthew Stafford is yes I wrote on Monday that I think that they should sit him down I still believe that I think that that is the right play and the right call but he's going to try and give it a go if he can now what does that happen toward the end of the week we'll, we'll see let's see if he practices on Wednesday or Thursday to me this is one of those situations where even if he does play, maybe he plays for a quarter. Maybe you get him out there a little bit because he wants to play, and, and then you kind of move on and really treat it a little bit like a preseason game, although they want to win. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel made it clear, like, this is more than likely his finale as a head coach, at least in Detroit. A lot of these coaches likely aren't going to be back, so for them it's kind of the finale and last audition to try and get a job for next year. Corey Oundlin, the defensive coordinator, talked today and basically said, listen, I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but he knows the results. And, 
he doesn't i he was very open and very honest uh and made it sound like he doesn't think he's going to be back and i mean that makes sense to me based off of how the defense is if you're looking for the humanity part of this and and we've talked so much really in october and november about the humanity part of this with assistant coaches and coordinators and families i recommend you go and listen to Corey Unlin today and his press conference. I I thought it was very raw. I thought it was very honest about what coaches go through and how this affects them. And I can tell you for a fact that, you know, this is a hard time for a lot of assistants. I've covered a lot of these between college and the pros and and guys just don't know. And I mean, even when you know that the head coach is going to be retained a lot of times, and we've seen it in Detroit where guys get shuttled out a lot. So, I mean, that that's part of all of this, too, and remember that. So I fully anticipate the coaching staff and the players trying to win and doing everything they can to win, and maybe even the front office staff, although obviously there's only so much they can do because a lot of these guys, who knows if they're going to be back. It's going to depend on who the new general manager is. So to me, I get why they're going to try really hard and – if I'm Matthew Stafford, I understand why I want to play. I also wouldn't hold it against him if he ends up sitting down and, and kind of just calling it. But that's kind of where the news came from today. Uh, Daryl Bevel kind of described watching it from home as feeling kind of helpless. Talked about, like, you know, walking around the room, you know, putting his hands on his head, you know, cheering, all of that. Listening to Bevel and listening to Corey Undlin describe kind of their experiences from home was super interesting to me because I think it mirrored the fan experience where, you know, Corey Ullman's talking about pacing around his kitchen island for three and a half hours. Like, man, that's that's a tough go. You know, and he's, I guess, living by himself right now. And, you know, he said he had no one around there, so it's just been him, and that's what it's been all season. And he also said he tested negative for COVID-19, so he'll be – anticipated to be back in the building uh, as well and back and everything good to go for him. So, you know, it, it's going to be a tough week for a lot of people in that building. A lot of people, and we're going to talk about it later on in the week, like this is it for them. This is their final go, final go round. And we're going to talk a little bit about the roster tomorrow and, and get into that. But, I mean, that's part of this. Like this is why week 17s are hard inside NFL locker rooms because guys know that this could be the end of their careers. This could be the end of their tenure with the team. This could be the end of their time in a spot. And and that's a really difficult thing. So kind of want to move into the mailbag a little bit. Uh, but before I did that, I wanted to just touch on a little bit of humanity. So we'll get to a few questions, hit the break, then come back and answer all of your questions. This is obviously the second to last mailbag. Uh, as I said, the plan right now is the last episode will be a giant mailbag episode uh, where I'll take any and all questions that you may have, and that'll be on January 6th. Obviously, if the Lions make some sort of big move, uh, then maybe we'll figure it out. But that is the plan as of now, and we kind of go from there. So into the mailbag we go. H. Jose Bosch, who's at HJBosch21, asks, considering the season is done and most, if not all, of the coaching staff will be out, is there anything that can be taken from this game looking ahead to 2021? Or because of the circumstances, does the front office just erase this tape? Meaning the Tampa Bay game. Honestly, no. I mean, this is that was a burn the tape game. That was a, a burn the tape, bury the tape, pretend that tape didn't exist. 
you know, try and hide it, do whatever you can, just get rid of it type of game. Uh, I don't think there's much that could have been taken from it, at least in a positive vein. I don't even know if there's much that could be taken of it from a negative vein other than the Lions, once again, whether Matthew Stafford is back or not, are going to have to address their backup quarterback situation, whether they really want to stick with Chase Daniel, although contractually they might have to, uh, what they want to do with David Blau. But again, that's decisions all for the new front office. And I think some of it too will depend on Matthew Stafford and what they do, because obviously if they keep Matthew Stafford around and they draft a quarterback, you're probably going to find a way to get out of that Chase Daniel contract if you can, uh, even if it means eating a little bit of dead money. And I said, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit, I think, on tomorrow's show when we kind of go through the roster. But, yeah, other than that, not much that you can really take. Uh, you know, I mean, Jamal Agnew's still a good punt returner. But there was nothing that we didn't already know. And I, I don't think you can really judge any of the coaches that got thrown in to the new roles. You can't judge them on that performance considering how it happened and how quick it happened. Like, I feel terrible, actually, for – guys like Evan Rothstein and got guys like Ty Warren guys like David Correo because this was their first shot in you know and and Evan's case he got bumped all the way from like research you know aid assistant completely behind the scenes got a calling defensive plays in like three days like that's that's a hard spot to be in and I'm sure he learned a ton but like I would hope no one would judge him based off of that one experience because like I mean that's just a completely unfair situation especially with what the Lions have been dealing with defensively anyway like none of that was a surprise Gar who's at Gar Johnson one asks how does the NFL plan to handle scheduling adjustments in the playoffs due to COVID I can't imagine that the NFL would let Kansas City or Green Bay play in a playoff game if Mahomes Hill Kelsey or Rogers Adams were placed on the COVID list I don't know the answer to that question uh, I don't get a sense that there is a true answer. I, I I haven't seen anything. There's possibly something out there. But if I'm the NFL, yeah, I don't want that sort of situation to happen. That's why, to me, a bubble would have made a lot of sense. You know, you delay everything by a week. And you give a week break. And you just tell everybody, hey, you're going in a bubble. And sure, it's hard to, to do that and to find the spots. But realistically, I mean, listen you know Disney did it with the NBA you obviously did it in two host cities with the NHL and and those two places were largely you know COVID they did a good job when it came to COVID so to me I think you have to try and figure out a way to do that because no you can't have that type of situation you know maybe it goes to a complete you you rent out a complete hotel or a complete resort where and in most of these cities there are those options now obviously you have travel here where you wouldn't have had travel you didn't have travel in the nba and nhl so that's part of it as well so i I don't know the answer to that question i'm surprised the nfl has not just said forget it we're going to just do a bubble make sure that the playoffs everybody is healthy um you know and and you kind of go from there and if you have injured guys like I, i don't even know what you do at that point like with signing guys but to me, that's what I would have done, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know how this is going to go. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Kick him in the nuts. Who's that? 
Jerry Gang, Grang, and there are going to be some interesting names in here uh, throughout this show. What is the what's the worst group on this defense? Defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties. I'd say biggest need is linebacker one A, safety one B. Defensive line isn't great. Cornerback needs better coaching and health. However, I cannot decide if the linebackers or safety is a bigger need. Two good safeties cover up a lot of bad play in the front seven. I don't disagree with you. Uh, however, I would say without a doubt to me, linebacker is their biggest need. It is need one. It is probably need two. It is a unit that really, other than Jamie Collins, might be completely scrubbed by next year. Jamie Collins, you're just probably not getting out of that contract. And I thought he's played the best of all of their linebackers. But th- this is just a rough, really, really rough unit right now that you need to to really take a hard look at. And especially if you're changing scheme and you're looking for a different type of scheme, that's the position where the scheme is so important for what you have skill set wise. So to me, that is where I think the biggest need is at linebacker. It's where a guy like Micah Parsons from Penn State, if the Lions don't go quarterback in round one and Parsons is sitting there, he makes a ton of sense because I think he's a guy that's scheme agnostic and a guy that can play right away. And we've seen how impactful linebackers can be as rookies. We've seen it before. I think safety is a need. Now, we'll see if Deron Harmon is back. I think he's had a little bit of an up-and-down year, but I think he he has some talent, and I don't think there's question about that. Uh, I'll be curious to see Tracy Walker in a new scheme. I still believe that he has a lot of talent. So, you know, uh, yeah, they have needs at safety. I imagine you'll see a new safety or two back in there, but I think Tracy Walker has shown potential in the past. So that's an area too. It's an area where if you still had Quandre Diggs, like this wouldn't be a need, but that is one of the many failings of the Matt Patricia Bob Quinn regime. So I would say linebacker is, is the worst group on the defense. Defensive line's tough to judge because Romeo Aquara obviously playing well, never got to see Everson Griffin and Trey Flowers really play together. Now Aquara and Flowers are both free agents. So we don't exactly know what this group will look like. There is going to be once again, a need there also didn't see much out of Julian O'Quara this year. This was basically a lost year for him due to injury. Their interior of their defensive line might have to be completely revamped. So going forward, that's going to be a big need corner. I think they're actually okay. You have to understand. I mean, they were so beat up and so injured at corner that you're, you're playing guys that are practice squad guys starting against playoff teams right now. And, and that's just not going to fly and not going to cut it. Uh, this is clearly almost essentially a lost year for Jeff Okuda. We'll see how he comes back after groin surgery. Might be a completely different player. I think he's going to have learned a lot from this rough rookie year. I think Amani Awarie is one of the defenders that you can feel maybe good about, uh, especially in maybe a different scheme, a more favorable to corner scheme. We'll see if they bring back Desmond Trufant. He just couldn't get, stay healthy all year, but he's under contract next year. That's going to be a question. I think that could very well be a scheme thing and a who is the general manager, who is the head coach thing, too, because if you have a guy like, say, they hire Thomas Dimitrov as the team's new general manager, well, he has familiarity with Desmond Trufant already, and if he still believes in him, maybe he holds on to him for a year because you can only fix so many problems at once. So it's going to be a massive 
hauling a massive task on this defense, and and that's just where where I'd start. We're gonna do one more question, and then hit a break. Bobby four three zero seven six one, one of the regulars, asks: As I mentioned before, I'm on the Ed Dobbs for general manager bandwagon, but with the mess the Lions are in, almost all receivers are free agents. Defense being horrible and lack of draft picks, would it be better off hiring Dimitrov or a more experienced guy to clean up Bob Quinn's mess. I think that it would be worth potentially hiring an experienced general manager, but it doesn't matter as long as the guy knows what he's doing and, and has a, a plan and is able to execute that plan well. The problem for Bob Quinn was that the plan that he had just didn't get executed well and basically got executed with former Patriots that they overpaid for. And who knows how much of that was really Matt Patricia and how much of that was just Quinn not being able to evaluate other players because I think Quinn, in his non-Patriots signings, actually did a pretty decent job in free agency, at least, with Marvin Jones was a really, really strong signing. Jack Fox was a great find. Uh, you know, even Bo Scarborough last year, like he gave you what what he needed. Adrian Peterson this year gave you something. It wasn't, you know, uh, it was at the expense of on Johnson, but he gave you something. I think his day three draft picks are turning out to be a little bit better than people maybe think. They look at the bad, really, really bad ones, like the Jimmy Landis's of the world, but I, I think he had some hits on day three. I think that this last draft class of his could turn out to be a pretty decent one. So uh, all of that said, and I'm not defending Bob Quinn, uh, my point is that the, is this, that they need to hire someone who has a definitive plan, who can work well with the head coach, and they know what they're doing. If Thomas Dimitrov is that guy, and I like Dom, Thomas Dimitrov's pedigree, I like his resume, I think he has did a lot of great things. He basically built the Falcons twice. You know, he listen, he had the quarterback in place, and that always helps, but he was aggressive with moves. Look at what he did to trade up to get, you know, Julio Jones. And he's been willing to draft defense. You can see from his drafts in the past, he will draft defensive linemen and linebackers, which is something that, at least on the defensive line, Bob Quinn didn't always do, especially with edge rushers. He found good talent on day three in Grady Jarrett. He largely drafted, with the exception of Prince Shembo, Largely drafted pretty good character guys as well, which matters to this organization. So to me, I think a Thomas Dimitrov hire would be a good one. It would make sense. I, I would I would laud the Lions if they made that decision. I think Rick Smith would could be a decent hire as well. Scott Pioli concerns me a little bit more, if we're being honest, because of go read Kent Babb's story in the Kansas City Star. I, I feel like just because of the culture that was here under Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, a hiring of a Scott Pioli would be very concerning to me and would probably, I think, be concerning to the Lions. However, you know, people change. And maybe Scott Pioli has changed. I'm talking about just the people who have interviewed so far. Obviously, there are a bunch of other people who might. Ed Dobbs is a guy that I think if the if he's willing to interview with the Lions, the Lions should absolutely talk to him. The Dobbs-Robert Sala combination is one that's been talked about a lot. I think that that's one that could work really well for the Lions. But if you want some experience in there, here's another name to potentially watch too. Reggie McKenzie. Uh, in 
he's now with Miami. He was the Raiders GM. He's another guy to maybe pay attention to. And the other guy I would, the other two that I would look at from experienced guys. Obviously, they're talking to Dimitrov now because he's not employed. But Jeff Ireland, the former Saints, you know, he worked with the Dolphins. Now he's with the Saints, and he really gets a lot of credit for being able to put together the current Saints roster. He did a lot there. And Brian Gain, who's now in Buffalo and really kind of got forced out in Houston. Now, they both have some questionable stuff in their background, but if you can answer those questions and you can explain away some, not explain away, but, you know, give satisfactory answers for what happened in those situations, then I think that those are guys that the Lions should absolutely take a look at if they are interested in hiring someone who has a little bit more experience. I, I really, on Gain specifically, I really think the Lions should take a look there. But that's just me. So we'll be back right after this with a whole bunch more of your questions. We've got a lot of them here on this episode, the big mailbag episode of the Michael Ross. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the United States are visiting Indeed each month, according to CompScore's total visits. So it's been clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And the NBA is back in action. Football is heading into the playoffs, even though not the Detroit Lions. And you might not be at a game this year, whether that's basketball or whether that's football, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to our show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us as always. Zach M, who's at NU Zach asks, hearing some buzz around Terry Fontenot as a potential general manager candidate, 
Could you compare his experience with that of Ryan Pace, who also came from the Saints front office and has arguably not been a great GM? So, okay, both of them came up through the Saints organization, pretty much only had experience with the Saints. Pace then leaves to become GM of the Bears. So their experience tree is very similar. Uh, I think Terry Fontenot has maybe learned under a few different type of people. We just talked about Jeff Ireland before the break, so he's been able to learn a little bit under him. I think what the Saints try to do in their program is very successful. Obviously, they're helped along by Drew Brees, but I think all you need to see, and so much of it is Sean Payton too. Don't mistake that for a second, right? Like Sean Payton's just a Hall of Fame level coach. But what they were able to do last year with Teddy Bridgewater, this year with Taysom Hill, and with Jameis Winston, to me, just tells you that they know how to build rosters. So he at least very much learned how to build a roster and build it well. I'm impressed by Terry Fontenot's resume. I think it is a strong resume. I don't love that he's only been in one organization. I I do worry about that. I like a diversification. But you can solve that if you you know, hire a head coach who isn't from the same organization or you have an assistant GM that has been somewhere else. Like Terry Fontenot is a really smart gentleman he you know was in 2012 he ended up at the stanford business school's executive education nfl program for managers so i i think that there's really a lot of potential there he came up as a scouting assistant he's monitored the waiver wire he's done advanced scouting he's you know i think that he he'd be an interesting interesting hire as kind of the assistant general manager to see what maybe he would be willing to do. And I think he's a good person, again, for the Lions to talk to. They're take, they're spreading a wide net. I, I can't necessarily compare Ryan Pace to Terry Fontenot. I don't think that that's fair because they are two different people and they came up with different backgrounds. So to me, and the Lions are potentially a team with different needs than what the Bears had when Ryan Pace got there. So I don't think you can maybe make that comparison specifically. I don't think that's fair. Um, because that's, it's kind of a false equivalence theory. Like that would be like saying every new England GM will fail because Scott Pioli and Bob Quinn failed. Well, John Robinson's not failing in Tennessee and Thomas Dimitrov did not fail in Atlanta. Yes, he lost his job, but I mean, he built a Super Bowl team. Like, so to me, you look at that and you can't, you can't maybe make those comparisons. So I, I like Terry Fontenot. I think that he would be a good person for them to interview. I don't know whether he would be the right hire or not. Just don't. But I I would not worry about that experience compared to Ryan Pace. I just don't, especially with executives more than coaches, I don't worry about that as much because so much of it is on what you're building for and what you're working with. With coaches, I can understand it a little bit more because of, of what you're learning if you've only come up in one system like Matt Patricia did. But I, for executives, I'm not as concerned about that. Your mom's house. Like I said, very interesting name, Twitter names today. Who's at Cato Mark T. Will this performance accelerate the search for a general manager and new head coach? I realize we have one week left before in-league candidates can be interviewed, but it seems like prior GM experience is going to be coveted in the hiring process. I'm combining this with a couple of other questions. Justin Hecht, who's at Justin Hecht, asks, do you think today's performance Harms the Lions case to bring in a top national candidate, either general manager or coach. I know if I were running for either in the running for either job, I'd be considered with uh, I'd be concerned. I'm assuming you mean with what I saw. And the third question from Jason Crowlick, who's out Crowlick. 
Why would any general managers or coaches want to come to this organization? They were all similar questions, so I figured I would bunch them together. I don't anticipate Saturday accelerating the search because at this point you are what you are. Nothing's going to change. It's not like you bring, even if you hire a GM this week uh, or a head coach this week, that's going to do anything or matter. It, you know, like it's just, you know, let's just for argument's sake, they're, they're not going to do this this week, but let's say they decide, Hey, we're going to go Falcons and hire P- Dimitrov and Dan Quinn. You start, like, even if that happened, it's not like Dan Quinn would coach on Sunday. Like, that just wouldn't happen. So, to me, my, and that my, I'm just using that as an example of an, a coach that's currently unemployed. So, to me, I don't think it changes the timeline at all. Like, everyone knows the job is open. Everyone knows what to expect. Now, had Matt Patricia still been on staff and Bob Quinn still been on staff and this happened, yeah, maybe they would have made the move on Monday, but both of the, but at least Matt Patricia wouldn't have been there, and I don't think that that would be fair to anybody to get fired after a, a COVID game, like that. So I don't think that that changes anything. Do I think that prior general manager experience is being coveted by the Lions? I think the people they have largely spoken with so far have made it clear that it is, but also those are also the candidates that are available to be spoken with at this point in time. Other than Lewis Riddick, because all of the and the in-house guys, because all of those guys were GMs and then lost their jobs, so now they're looking for new jobs. So to me, that's why you're maybe seeing this emphasis so far on experienced personnel people. However, it would not shock me if they wanted to have an experienced personnel person, especially if they want to go with a head coach that doesn't have head coaching experience. And to me, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. But I would be more concerned about a retread head coach than a retread general manager because very, very often you find that if a guy has not been successful in his first stop, then he's likely not going to be a successful head coach, period. Now, there are obvious exceptions to that, Pete Carroll being one, Marv Levy being another, and Bill Belichick obviously being Another, although the Belichick situation was a little bit different with Cleveland moving that that whole franchise moving to Baltimore, but on the whole, the if a head coach is hired the first time and he's successful, then like he might be he'll be successful other places. Now, obviously in Dallas we're seeing what we're seeing, but like to me, a Dan Quinn, if Dan Quinn got another job, I think you can call his tenure successful with Atlanta because they did get to a Super Bowl and obviously what happened happened but I be, he feels like a guy who maybe needs more of a fresh start. Now I'm not saying they should hire Dan Quinn. So let's get that straight right away. But like there like that's somebody that I would want to give maybe another shot to. Jim Caldwell who interviewed in Houston, a guy that obviously not in Detroit necessarily, but would be worth getting another shot because he has shown that he can be successful in certainly in Indianapolis because you take out what ha- you know, kind of the weird situation there. And then, you know, he got, kind of got stuck in another difficult situation in Detroit. And so he's a guy that would make sense. But on the whole, if a guy was unsuccessful as a head coach in his first go-around, that's a big concern for me going forward with hiring him again. Uh, you know, like Josh McDaniels would be a good example. Like, that would be a concerning hire to me. Um. 
so that's that's something to consider. So if you're going to go for maybe a first-time head coach, then to me, you maybe maybe they do want someone with more experience as a general manager. In all of that, I don't think that that's going to what happened against the Bucks is going to matter as far as bringing in a top candidate. What's going to matter with the top candidate is the roster you have, the cap space you have, the draft capital you have, and the quarterback situation. If you remember, Dan Graziano was on a couple of weeks ago, and we talked a lot about that, of what makes jobs attractive. To me, Jacksonville's the most attractive job on the market. They've got the number one pick. They've got oodles of cap space. There's a general manager opening as well. This is obviously assuming that if Doug Marone does lose his job. Like, to me, that's the most enticing job. The Chargers, if Anthony Lynn loses his job, becomes an enticing job because of Justin Herbert. Like, the quarterback situation is key. The Lions kind of depends on Stafford or the pick. You know, like right now, the Jets, to me, may be an attractive place because they have the number two pick. So if you really like Justin Fields and maybe you want to run a system that fits Justin Fields really well, then maybe that's a really attractive job for you because you can make sure you get Justin Fields. And similarly, if the Lions somehow end up with a third pick and you can maybe move up to two or you move to like, like Zach Wilson's a guy from BYU. That's really intriguing. If you like the quarterback situation, like that's why if they're higher up in the draft, that maybe makes it more attractive. But you know, you're, you're built you, if you are a GM or a head coach, you're coming and understanding what this is going to be and what the rebuild likely is going to look like. So you're going into that. I think eyes wide open or you should at least, but I don't think that, uh, performance in week 16 with the situation that they had is going to affect any of that. Uh, I kind of hit a little bit of Jason's question with why general managers and coaches would want to come to the Lions. I think that their quarterback situation, if you do like Stafford, you have him and you can kind of play around with that for a couple years before you have to make a decision. If you don't, he's a got an asset that can be moved and maybe get you more draft capital or player or young player capital, potentially, depending where you would trade him to. Uh, the cap space is okay. It's not great, but you're also not in an Atlanta situation. Going back to the Thomas Dimitrov question before, like that's a big concern about Dimitrov is kind of how he managed the cap. That's where like if Mike Disner sticks around, Mike Disner is a very valuable person because Mike Disner is pretty good at managing the cap. So that to me is where you know, you have a cap guy in place if you want to keep that cap guy. So that to me would be the enticing thing. I think there are potentially some pieces, especially on offense. But, you know, uh, the other part is is ownership. And they've shown in the past to be patient. We'll see what happens here in the future. But that to me, again, is something that can make this attract, make the Lions job attractive. I wrote about this from a coaching perspective and a GM perspective uh, over the last few weeks. So you know, retweet those probably at some point here in the next week as well. So hopefully you see those then. And we'll be talking about it on, you know, social media and probably in stories for the weeks to come. Eric Hippofan, who's at Spleen95, short BR, asks, shouldn't these losses fall on Quinn and Patricia, similar to a starting pitcher in baseball who gets shelled and leaves the the bases full for the relief pitcher? Ideally, yes. And I don't think anyone's blaming Daryl Bevel for these losses like like let's be clear on that and certainly not Kyle O'Brien the you know triad of Kyle O'Brien Lance Newmark and Rob Lohman and Disner if you want to include him there too although you know he's again more of the cap person 
so I don't, I wouldn't put these on them. I, I think at the end of the day, people are looking at what happened here, and it's still Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia's failure. So, I mean, if Daryl Bevel had you know gone three and two, four and one, like that would have been a great success for Daryl Bevel. Uh, I think some of the other stuff that's gone on is more of a concern that I would be curious how Daryl Bevel would hands, handle answering those questions and potential future head coaching interviews than what happened on the field because everyone knows the roster is what it is. And frankly, at this point and at the point when Daryl Bevel was hired, there was only so much you could do to fix it. So while these wins and losses will officially go on Daryl Bevel's record, I don't think anyone will put the on-field performance win or loss on Daryl Bevel because of what he was handed. And certainly not Kyle O'Brien, Rob Lohman, and Lance Newmark, at least you know, from a decision-making standpoint. Now, they obviously are all part of the kind of inner circle for making these decisions, and that's part of the problem. But from an actual decision-making standpoint, I don't think that they will be blamed, and, and shouldn't be, frankly. So it's, I think, a technical thing versus maybe how it's viewed in the league. Nate, who's at Dog 22 says, Stafford is clearly fragile. He continues to keep getting new injuries. Was Chase Daniel really the best quarterback 10 million can get should the lions give up on david blau the answer is yes by the way so i mean i I think a lot of that's going to be determined by whoever the new coach and new general manager is and what system they run um chase daniel listen he's a very good backup quarterback and and i say that from this perspective right like most teams saints aside most teams if your starting quarterback gets hurt, and you can see this now with the Rams, maybe with the Cardinals, and they're possibly fighting for playoff berths and, and look at what they're having to start quarterback-wise. Most teams, if you lose your starting quarterback, you are in big trouble. The Lions saw that last year. Chase Daniel is not a bad option for a backup quarterback. Like, you paid him a little bit more money. You kind of, you know, tried to... Ex- Give yourself more stability after what you had a year ago. Like, that was a smart move. Like, I don't think Chase Daniel was a bad pickup. But understand, like, largely the backup quarterback situation is not going to be a great one. It's just not. I mean, yes, you have the situation you have in Miami, right? But at the same time, you had a rookie. Same thing in With the Chargers, like next year, for instance, say Matthew Stafford is back in 21 as a starter and they draft a quarterback in the first round or the second round. Well, guess what? That backup quarterback situation all of a sudden looks a heck of a lot better because you've got a young quarterback on a rookie contract. The Lions could have gone that route this year. They chose not to. They instead wanted the experienced hand. And I can understand that based off of what happened the year before and also the pressures under Patricia and Quinn to win now and they didn't want to get into another situation like they were in so to me I get why the Chase Daniel situation happened now could they have signed Jameis maybe for less sure but I don't know if Jameis would have necessarily even come to Detroit because the thought process with Jameis is you or anybody in that situation is you go to New Orleans you apprentice for a year and then if Drew Brees retires like you're in a good spot to maybe win that job so that's not the, that wasn't the situation for any type of backup here in Detroit. So 
yeah, for what they were able to offer, I think that Chase Daniel was was a good option for them. Again, anything that you saw on Saturday was just an unfair situation. Michael Knight, who's at M. Wayne, M. Wayne Knight, asks, Discounting the game, obviously, how was your Christmas? Did you get anything good? Did you get to see your family? How'd it go? So, uh, I don't celebrate Christmas. I celebrate Hanukkah. Um, I usually actually don't even really do that, if I'm being completely forthright. Uh, usually, however, for the holiday season, I go to North Carolina or try to for a couple of days and spend time with my brother who lives down there and, and my sister-in-law and some of my sister-in-law's family who is also down there. My dad usually would come down. Obviously did not get to do that this year. So I spent my day reading a book. I watched WW84. I did not like the new Wonder Woman movie. I, I just was wholly unimpressed by it. I'm probably more of a Marvel person to begin with. And it just, it, it just, well, I just, I just didn't think it was a very good film. It was two hours, 34 minutes. I honestly, I fell asleep a couple of times during it. Um, it was, it was a nice kind of, you know, kind of whatever movie, but it, it just didn't really, I just didn't think it was particularly good, uh, especially compared to a lot of the Marvel films. So I did some of that. Um, I went for a walk. And played uh, played some video games, played a little bit of Madden, watched some football, uh, watched some basketball. So that that was basically what I did. Um, got one gift. I actually got some weights, which was super exciting. I uh, haven't been able to work out all that much because I haven't gone back to the gym yet. And I haven't been able to find many dumbbells. And uh, somebody was kind enough to get me some weights. So I'm pretty excited about that. And already have started using them and really, really pumped about that. And hopefully we'll see my family who are all out of state uh, at some point after the season. And uh, hopefully after, you know, the vaccine takes hold and uh, that will be when I get to see my family again. But we talk a lot, FaceTime and, and all that. But overall, it was it was a nice holiday. That was a little bit of downtime, which was great. And uh, hopefully everybody that listened to this also got a little bit of downtime. And if you are close to your family, was able to to see your family. Les White, who's at IconSilk713, asks, would you agree that Bob Quinn's fatal flaw personnel-wise is his low regard for the element of speed? You can teach a fast guy to play football, but you can't teach a pretty good DB or linebacker to run. Uh, yes, I would say that that was definitely part of it. I, I mean, now some of that understand, especially in the later Bob Quinn years, was drafting to what Matt Patricia wanted. And Matt Patricia valued versatility maybe a little bit more over athleticism. And I think that that was a problem and that has definitely shown up in certain spots, particularly at linebacker. But even beforehand, uh, Tease Tabor obviously being the shining example of that. But, you know, Jared Davis even to an extent. I mean, Bob Quinn's deal in the first round, I thought he was a very good offensive drafter, frankly, in the first round. I thought he was a very good offensive drafter, period. You know, I know people didn't like the TJ Hawkinson pick, but TJ Hawkinson is a pro bowler, pro bowler in his second year and would have been even if George Kittle were healthy. You know, now maybe if Kittle and Ertz were healthy, maybe he doesn't get there, but that's okay. Like, I think that he's put together a season that you're going to see him be a... I, I still think that was a... I'm starting to more and more believe that, that was a very, very good pick. 
for the Lions, especially we'll see what their new offense looks like. But say they do hire Robert Sala and he brings Mike LaFleur, which Nick Wagner talked about on a podcast episode last week. If that happens, well, guess what? Guess who's a star in San Francisco? George Kittle. Guess who trains with George Kittle all the time and is good friends with him? TJ Hawkinson. So guess who might become a star? TJ Hawkinson. So just saying, I would say I think Quinn's flaw personnel-wise was how little he valued edge rushers and defensive linemen in the draft. And his, yeah, I would say defensively, there are issues with athleticism and speed. And really maybe all over the place a little bit too because they definitely valued uh, catch radius and close contact catches over pure speed and burners uh, at receiver. So there's no question about that as well. But uh, I would say yes, if you're looking at maybe how they graded certain things, I think that that was a flaw without a doubt. But I would also argue that, especially when it comes to receiver and it comes to DB, if a guy's just not getting it, it, he can have all the tools in the world and all the speed in the world. But if he's not getting it, like that's not going to save you either. Maybe he ends up being a bet has a better shot being a really good special teams player, but like that only gets you so far, right? I mean, like Jamal Agnew is a good example of that, and I, I like Jamal a lot as a returner. He's a really nice kid, by the way. Like, really, really nice kid, but he moved from DB to receiver this year. Well, okay, he's got all the speed. Like, he's a fast guy. He's an agile guy. He's an incredibly athletic guy. So, like, that's another example. So, I think it's, you know, you got to try and find both and find a good marriage of that. And too odd, but speed can cover things up where someone like Jelani Tavai, who doesn't have the speed and has clearly struggled this season, same thing with Jared Davis, that that's where it really, really hurts you. B. Sir, who's at, who's Brendan at B. Sir Hall, looking for a new team. Any suggestions? You might have heard Brendan a few times on this podcast, not actually heard him, uh, although I actually may see if he wants to come on the final episode for a little while because he, we, he and I go back to college and he is a big, big Lions fan. Uh, but he's like looking for a new team. Any suggestions? Uh, no, man, I don't have any suggestions for you. I know where you live. I can't make any suggestions based off of that, based off of the teams that are there. So I would just say hold out hope. Go go enjoy some baseball maybe. Uh, I, I can't even suggest that the college football team that you like is any good because, well, yeah, Syracuse had a bad year. But college basketball season, Syracuse looks all right in college basketball. So I would just say, you know, I, I we've talked about it a lot, right? The hope is what kills you. I guess you, if you've stuck out in the Lions for 40 years or so, I, I think you can do it. I think you probably stick at this point if you're going to stick with the team. That's just my suggestion, Brendan. Andy A., who's at Tanner's Dad Andy, asks, general manager positions become available because teams are bad, of course, but a defense this awful surely would scare away any big-name candidate from actually wanting to accept a Lions position, would it not? No, it wouldn't, because there were 32 of these, and everyone knows how bad the Lions defense is, including the front office, including ownership. Everyone understands it. Everyone gets it. So you're going to get time to rebuild, especially with a cap situation being what it might be this year. Uh, and the draft capital is what it is. 
I think that there will be an understanding or there should be an understanding that this is going to take time. If there's one thing that I feel pretty confident in is that whoever they hire as a general manager and a head coach will get time to see out their vision, barring a disaster. I think that they've maybe learned their lesson there. Like you can see the signs when it's really, really just a mess. But other than that, I think they'll have time, and that's an attractive thing for general managers and for head coaches. So I think that that would not scare away a big-time candidate because, I mean, let's just look at it from 2018 when Matt Patricia came in to now, two and a half seasons later, almost the entirety of the roster turned over. So you can turn the whole roster over in three years if you need to, and you just make sure you find better players. So I don't think that's going to scare anyone away. Jeremy Zide, who's at Zide Jeremy, asks, specifically starters on the defense, who do you see as worthy to be brought back in a prominent role next year? Just to clarify, not guys you think maybe could be brought back, but players who should be. And John Roberts, who's at AHS Maples AD, asks a similar question, so we've packaged these together. Is anyone that played defense for Detroit today a lock to make the 2021 roster? So these kind of answers are similar, right? So start. I'll, I'll dig in first on the starters on defense. Uh, Trey Flowers will play a prominent role next season. He's under contract. He'll be back there. Now, he didn't play, obviously, for the Lions against the Bucks, but he will be back. Jamie Collins did not play for the Lions against the Bucks. I highly anticipate he will be back unless they completely just gut it. But to me, his contract is going to have him back. Amani Awarie, I think, will be back and play a prominent role next year. I think he showed a lot of progress. I think in a different scheme, he could be quite good. Tracy Walker, similar. I think he'll be a starter next year, and I think in a different scheme with a, a different offseason, I think he has a chance to be quite good. Romeo Aquara is a guy that is worthy to be brought back without question. The question is whether or not the Lions will pay him enough to do that. And I think he's going to get a good amount in free agency. I think he's going to get a good amount of attention in free agency. And, you know, he's the type of guy even that's maybe even more attractive in free agency because if the cap, if there are cap issues and the cap is lower or stays stagnant, there might be guys that are coming out onto the market that will be expecting more money where, you know, maybe you can get Romeo Aquara for like 8 to $10 million a year not a bad price for a guy of his skill set who's still only 25 and ascending. And, you know, so often pass rushers really, really hit their stride at like 28, 29, 30. That to me, he's a guy that you can maybe even buy a little low on still and get a really high return. So I'll be curious to see what the market looks like for Romeo Aquara. But to me, he's a guy that. If you can bring him back in a prominent role, I would. If Everson Griffin was willing to take a you know, reasonable deal, I would inquire to see if he wanted to come back. Linebacker, I mean, they really shouldn't be starting anybody else. Like They, they really need to gut that whole situation. Jeff Okuda obviously did not play on Saturday, but I anticipate that he will have a prominent role next year as well. So that would be kind of where I think things are at this point with the defense. We're going to get, again, more into that on Wednesday's episode. Colden Bueller is at Colden underscore Bueller asks, is, the, is this the draft to finally take a replacement quarterback if the Lions get a top 10 pick? I think it depends on 
which quarterbacks are there and what picks they have. If you're sitting at number three, I would almost say you might even be in a better spot to trade down to like six, depending who's at four or five. Again, we don't know what this order is going to shake out as. To me, if I am the Lions and I'm in like sitting at three or four, I don't want to trade behind Atlanta. Like that would be because Atlanta and the Lions are in very similar situations, about to have likely full regime changes, quarterbacks in similar situations in their careers, similar contract situations, might be looking for the same type of thing. So needing to really replace a lot of their defense. So to me, I would be concerned about Atlanta beyond Jacksonville and the Jets, who are going to be one and two, going to probably be Trevor Lawrence and either Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. That's just my opinion at this point. So to me, I think it depends where you're drafting in the top 10. Because at some point, the value is just going to be not good enough. And and that's where you have to make some decisions, right? Like, because if you say, you know, you're, you like Zach Wilson as, as number three, but yeah, you're drafting at five, Atlanta's at four, Atlanta takes Zach Wilson. Like, are you just going to take quarterback because that's the next best thing? I Probably not. Like, at that point, you're maybe looking at maybe Micah Parsons is the guy there. Maybe you take a receiver, depending on what the team does with Kenny Galladay. Maybe you're taking some sort of defensive stud that I'm not even thinking of at the moment, right? Like, I mean, maybe even you consider Sewell, the, the left tackle. I mean, you have Taylor Decker, obviously, but, you know, maybe you put him at right tackle and then your offensive line is fantastic at that point, potentially. So, uh, I mean, I don't think that the Lions would go, frankly, in that route. But, yeah, I don't think you have to take a quarterback as a replacement in the first round. I do anticipate I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if the Lions did not take a quarterback in the first two days of the draft. I would be absolutely just stunned if they did that. With one caveat, if Detroit did move on from Matthew Stafford and they brought in, say, let's just say a Sam Darnold, right? Or, I mean, even a Josh Rosen. Um, maybe not Josh Rosen, but but a Sam Darnold, a guy that is a youngish quarterback that can that you that you want to try and develop a bit. Like, and maybe you see if, and, and you're keeping Stafford, maybe you don't necessarily draft a quarterback. But that you're also, you're banking basically on your maybe replacement quarterback being a young guy who's just had a raw deal of it versus a rookie. And that, that's a tough question, and I don't know the answer to that question. But I think it's just going to depend on where they pick and who's there. Uh, but I would be, again, stunned if they did not take a quarterback in the first two days. But we'll see what happens here with Matthew Stafford and who ends up getting this job. Don B., who's at Don Bays Jr., asks, Will the Lions announce anything before the year is over? Will they wait for the season to end before doing anything? Um, I don't anticipate them announcing anything before the end of the year. I just don't think that that's something that, I mean, if you're wanting to have a full and comprehensive search, the majority of the people you can talk to are not available to be talked to yet. So I feel like they will wait. Absolutely. I mean, you might not hear anything for a couple of weeks as far as an actual hire goes. 
after the season's over. Or it could be a few days. It kind of just depends on the situation. They can do a lot of Zoom calls. They can do a lot of, you know, all of that. And you just kind of go from there. But I would be surprised if they announce anything this week. Uh, however, if they've made a decision on, at this point, a GM because they haven't announced any head coaching interviews, well, if you've made a decision on a general manager and you feel really good about it, then announce it. Sure. But I, I just don't think that that's coming this week because I think there are other people that would probably they would want to talk to an interview. David Majors, comma, Death Cello Bazaar, at Call Me DJM, asks, as someone covering this team, how are you holding up? How do writers hold up after games with, like that with seasons like this covering a team like this? Man, I, I know and I'm pairing this with another question from Mark S., who's at Kramasis, who asks, how tiring is it to cover this team? You don't root for them anyway, and they're so bad. Um, so this is an interesting question. I, I like this question. I'm holding up fine. I would say this is not different than any other year, good or bad. And I've covered mostly bad, but good or bad, because by December, you're, you're tired. It's a lot of working six to seven days a week, a lot of hours, a long season that's gone since August. I'm not traveling this year. So that's been a little bit different. Uh, I think it's been a little less tiring in some instances, a little more tiring in other instances, because I am somebody, if you follow my Instagram, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I like to travel and like to travel for fun in my own personal time. And that's one of my favorite parts of this job a lot of times in season is being able to go on the road, whether it's to Chicago or Minneapolis, where I have friends or, you know, trips to New York or LA. I mean, this year would have been able to go to Carolina and Atlanta and I have, you know, college friends in Atlanta, like all of those things like that I, I did get to do this year, which, you know, is unfortunate and very much a first world problem to have. Um, but to me, I don't fare any different. I, I just write my story uh, and I go home. Uh, after this last particular game was even better because I didn't have to record a podcast that night. I waited till the next day. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not great fun covering a losing team just because guys don't want to talk and, and everybody's worried about their jobs. And I understand that it's not like the best thing in the world, but a lot of times a team that is, um, frankly like the lions right now are more interesting than like an eight and eight team i've covered a lot of eight and eight seven and nine areas too where you just never get a handle on whether they're good or bad you never get a real sense of them one way or the other and at least this type of team where you know how bad they are and you know where their problems are at least it's more defined and it's more um focused a lot of times than than other years but this year in general and i've talked about it a few times it's just been difficult for what i like to do and the stories i like to tell just because and, and i give a lot of credit to Eamon reynolds solomon williams greg Maiola, and megan boyle their their pr the lions pr staff because they have they've done a really great job this year in a very hectic uncertain year kind of helping to get players available making players available um making players available for for one-on-one -on -one interviews when we've asked uh, and they've been super helpful with that. And I'm very appreciative of that. And that's made this a little bit easier, but yeah, it's, it's been a trickier year without a doubt, but I'm grateful to have a job and grateful to uh, be able to do what I do. And is it tiring to cover? As I said, yeah, it, it's tiring, but it's like this every year. Like this is not a new thing. Like, and if you ask any beat writer who covers any team, if they tell you by the end of the season that they cover that they are not tired, 
they're lying to you because it's just it's a lot of man hours and a lot of work and a lot of uh, late nights, early mornings, unexpectedness. Um, an example would be uh, so they when they fire Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. Now everybody had a feeling it might be coming, right? But I was literally sitting on a friend of mine's porch. Uh, I have a, I have a small bubble of people that that I see, and we were sitting on his porch. And I was getting ready to go home and I looked at my phone and saw a message saying, hey, they've just fired, you know, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. And he literally had to drive me home because I we live about a mile from each other. And I had walked over because it was actually a nice uh, November day. Like that's just part of the gig. You know, it's just it just what it is. And uh, that night, actually, I cover was covering Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. for our boxing team. That was part of our coverage crew for that. And, yeah, that was a long day. And I, this is the first year where I've covered boxing and MMA, uh, mostly boxing, along with covering the Lions. So that has added a little bit to it. But, again, not traveling helps that. So it doesn't matter, again, if they're good or they're bad. It's just at the end of any season, there is an element of, of being tired. But that's just, I think, what it is in any – like an accountant is the same way. After taxes are done, like after that April 15th, like you just you're, – you're spent. And like that's just what it is in, in any job after any business season. If you're in retail after the holiday season, you're generally spent. Um, like that's what, teachers, you know, by June you're tired. Like you just are, or May, depending where what state you live in. Like that's just kind of how it is. So no different, I think, than any other job. Don Bresnow, who's at dbrez4, asks, after watching the quarterback play Saturday without Matthew Stafford, I'm having second thoughts about trading him. I understand where you would come from with that, and and I would agree. I mean, like that's you saw a glimpse of like what happens if they miss. If if the Lions move on from Matthew Stafford and they miss, you saw what happens. Now, I don't think it's that bad. Like I really wouldn't think it would be that bad because again, you would have a guy that's prepped the whole week as a starter. You're not gonna have the COVID situation that you had. But you saw what happens when you don't have good quarterback play. I mean, another example of that would look look at what happened in Washington. You know, they missed on Dwayne Haskins, and, and it's hurt them. And, and sure, they have Alex Smith, and that's helped. But, like, that's what happens if you miss. And, and I think there is an element of people forgetting about that, and that's hard, and maybe that's why you try and bridge it. But, you know, I, I don't think that you can, again, equate Saturday to anything else because Chase Daniel's not going to be their starter. Like, that's not in the cards here. Unless you're really trying to blow it up in 2021 and, uh, you know, for 2022. Like, that's how Chase Daniel becomes your starter. But I just I just don't see that happening. Todd Richardson, who's at T underscore Richardson, asks, What makes the Lions head coaching jobs and general manager jobs desirable? We covered that a little bit, but I wanted to answer this for the second part of this. What are the positives going into 2021? Well, it's a new year. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the vaccine will take hold and fans will be allowed back. I think that's a positive going into 2021. The offensive line and the potential there, I think, is a very large positive going into 2021. You've got three really solid pieces all on the left side of the line in Frank Ragnow, Jonah Jackson, and Taylor Decker. Uh, I think that Tyrell Crosby is showing to be a good piece as well, potentially, at right tackle. I think he he's shown out this year and 
you can probably feel okay about maybe going into next season with him as the starter at right tackle. And I'd be curious to see what happens with Vitae. You know, Vitae has been a tough guy to judge this year because he just hasn't been healthy. Like, so is he able to get healthy or is this, I mean, if he can't get healthy, then this goes up there as one of Bob Quinn's worst signings, period. I'm not ready to write that off yet. I want to see what he's like when he's truly healthy because that just hasn't happened. So the offensive line would be a positive. DeAndre Swift is very much a positive to me. I think that he's shown a lot of potential. And I think Kerryon Johnson in very limited roles, and I'd be very curious to see what a new offensive staff does with him, is a guy that I think is very promising. Defensively, I like what you saw for, I saw from Amani Awarie this year. That's a positive. Jeff Okuda, hopefully healthy. That would be a positive. So to me, those are where your positives lie. Jack Fox, another positive. That's where those positives lie. Josh Emery, who's at MMA Josh. Asks why. That is my question. Man, I, I don't even know. We've talked a lot about joy on this podcast. And I, I included this just to mention again, especially next week. If this hasn't brought you joy this year, don't don't watch. Like, go do something else. Enjoy family. Enjoy friends. Enjoy a book. Enjoy, hopefully, unless you're in the Detroit area, being able to watch another game. Uh, if you Or if you have Sunday ticket, like, go enjoy all of that. Like, really, really enjoy that. And that would be my advice and my suggestion would be that. Silky Johnson, who's at the real JJans, asks, are curses real? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with no. Curses are not real. Of course, now maybe I'm cursed. Who knows? Chris Gordon, who's at Twin Cities Chris, can we just opt out of week 17? Um, I mean, listen, the players and coaches wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you just not watch. I mean, I'm calling it must miss TV this week because both the Vikings and the Lions are out of the playoffs. You know, it, it's not going to be a pretty game to me. You can watch if you want. Don't watch if you don't want to. I mean, that, that's just that's up to you. And that's your way of opting out. You can opt out of week 17 that way by just not watching. Stuart Left asks, what are the Lions going to sell to have season ticket holders renew? Remember, the Quinn Patricia regime was fan unfriendly. They canceled the meet and greet and players at the kickoff luncheon. They did. And that was one of the many things that they did that I think really hurt their standing with fans. And they didn't quite understand that every market is a little bit different and every market kind of is a little you you got to understand the markets like that that event is a gimme that event the detroit economic club luncheon and you know in full disclosure i know the guy who who does some pr for it pretty well like but that's a layup that's an easy that's a gimme like taste of the lions is a gimme now taste of the lions still in existence obviously not this year because of covid but those are gimmies like those are layups those are are easy things to to get your fans involved. So to me, I think that you can look at that and say, "Welp, um, I I would be shocked if they don't bring it back. I would be shocked if they um, just kind of don't do something." Now we'll see who the new head coach and the new general manager are, but. My my guess would be that you would see more fan-friendly things. I think they realize they have a lot to do to earn the fans' trust back. Um, they will have a new coaching staff to sell 
to season ticket holders and they will have hope. And, you know, I mean, that's, I think, what they've sold very often over the years. And that's what I think they would sell. Paul Jackson, who's at Paul M. Jackson 9. I'm a Lions fan that lives in Tampa. I'm confident the Tampa Bay Viker, Vipers could would have beaten the Lions today. Your thoughts? Nah, I don't buy that because, honestly, truthfully, um, I think people always underestimate the fact that, like, NFL teams, even, like, bad NFL teams, still have incredible amounts of talent. That's just the truth. And I just don't think that that would have happened. Now, the showing that they had was terrible, but that team's still beating any college team or any, you know, kind of minor league team. That's just the reality. Taha Jamil, and we're going to end on this. I was going to save this for last week and have it be my last question for, for or save it for next week and have it be my last question next week. But I figured let's just answer it today since we don't know exactly what what we'll have next week. Sorry to hear the show is ending. You need to tell us, and this is from Taha Jamil, T. Jamil at 4916. You need to tell us how you got into using y'all before you sign off. So y'all happened because of this. Um, when I was growing up, I was in an organization called the B'nai Youth Organization. Um, I did a couple of their international programs, which had people from all over the country, all over the world, actually. It was really awesome. And one of the things like you just met people and I had always been able to kind of move in and out of accents. Uh, not really sure why it's just something I was frankly able to do. And when I got to college, I had a pretty thick New York accent and I was told, Hey, that that wouldn't work in a large majority of the company or con- not company country. And I wanted to be on TV at the time or do radio or something like that. My major was broadcast journalism and I didn't know necessarily I was going to become a writer who kind of did all this as secondary stuff. So I worked really hard to lose my accent. It still comes out from time to time, but I worked really hard to do that. And by doing, and I did that by listening to other people. I knew people from the South, people from Texas, uh, people from all over. So I still go in and out of accents a lot, but y'all is just something I, I picked up along the way. And it's just something that has always kind of been, in, I would say for like the last 20 years, been just part of what I say instead of you all. Uh, I've just said y'all. Um, no real reason other than that. Uh, I, When I was a senior in college, a friend of mine told me that I was the most Southern sounding New Yorker that he had ever met. And that's really kind of stuck. I also lived in Virginia for two years um, in one of my jobs. And they say y'all there. And I think that that's really where it, it really, really stuck for me and it just kind of became part of what I say. So, you know, um, I'm really grateful for all y'all, uh, grateful for all y'all listening to this very long mailbag and I hope you got something out of it. Hope you enjoyed it. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as always at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein journalist. And we will be back tomorrow with, I think a breakdown of the roster heading into 2021 might have a special guest instead still working on it we're going to figure out what that looks like uh hoping it'll happen but uh otherwise we're going to have a roster breakdown and uh, we will chat with you tomorrow